0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
1: Hello there. So it's all over for now. The Premier League signed off with a goal-laden week, which heralded only winners and losers. Interestingly, there were no draws made as teams went for blood ahead of the World Cup. Albeit, with Bournemouth shocking Man City and Salah failing to score two, it became a bit of a dank week for many FPL managers to sign off on. Off the back of that, we're back for a final time before, well, nearly Christmas now, to cast our eye back across the first half of this season. I'm joined, of course, by Lucy. How are you?
0: I'm all right, thank you. Another early recording slot, so I'm definitely better than I would otherwise be. I'd obviously be even better without my football team or my FPL team, but what can you do? We are Who Got The Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL and you can find me, Lucy, at Lucy Hynit with two Ts. On the pod today, we have two meaty topics to get stuck into on our final pod of the first half of the season before we enjoy a well-earned break. We'll review the first half, as Tom said, providing a look at the data, plus some observations from our experience and then we'll have a first very 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 tentative look at our world cup wildcard we expect this will form more of an initial thought dump than anything else we're recording in the evening of monday the 14th of november not that that really matters anymore because nothing's happening
1: exactly yeah world cup wildcard world cup wildcard
0: yeah turns out that's a tongue twister
1: try try again world cup wildcard World yeah. Cup Wild Card. That's it. Should, can we just call it like kind of it's WCWC, isn't it? World cut, Wild Card. Can we just call it like y, YC, w, YC? What? That's not even part of it. WC squared <laughs> or something. Just, just
0: WC it, squared. Yeah, like just, it. Just
1: to make it easier. Um, yeah, I think that's probably works. But yeah, um, yeah, exciting. Um, even though obviously, yeah, when we get when we get to it, you'll have to just put so many health warnings on it. Right. Uh, let's start off, though, quickly um, with the min League update, because we want to just uh, get that rounded off um, for the final time uh, ahead of uh, the World Cup. A uh, quick shout out before I do that to the attendees of FPR Meets. Had a great time last Saturday. I Sadly, I had some sad news last Friday, and it was just so nice to get all the kind words from everybody there. So yeah, it meant a lot to me. So thanks to everybody who said that, uh, which is rare, exceedingly rare in social situations. Normally they're along the lines of go away. Don't listen to your podcast, don't know who you are. So, yeah, it made a very nice change. Anyway, into the main league, hopefully, people who do listen to our podcast. The final standings for the break are, as such, up top. It's a new leader. It's Durham Scouts. It's Matthew Winkler, a 63 pointer this week for Matthew. He comes up all the way from four. In second, it's Clem Fandango's James McSweeney up from eighth to second with a huge 71 points this week, courtesy of bringing in Darwin and Martin Odegaard, uh, who got a brace. So that's a very nice move for James there. In third, staying in third is Robin Smith, uh, Yantan Leather. He's been there or thereabouts for quite a while. Just 54, sadly, for Robin this week. I feel like he had a similar week for, to me uh, with that Darwin bye being his only kind of shining light. In fourth down from second, Jonathan Arklis with Robin Hill. 50 points for Jonathan this week, which is bang on what I got. He's actually joint fourth now, actually, with Harry Liu, uh, who continues his very slow trudge up the table. Eight hog, nine hog, ten hog. Um, 53 for Harry. And in Sith all the way up from 30th, Rob Brooks. What would Jesus do? 88 points, albeit with a bench boost this week uh, for Rob. So, yeah, very well done there. Uh, speaking of bench boosts, uh, Vladimir Rutsky, who famously bench boosted for just two points uh, not very long ago, down from fifth to seventh, 49 points only for Vladimir this week. He's joined actually in seventh by Mark Bleakey, Bury City, 72 points for him. Brought in Darwin, also made the swap from Pope to Ward, which is a bit unusual, but hey, that paid off. And all of these people, so all the people in the top seven, have made it over the a thousand points mark uh, by game week sixteen by the break, which is absolutely phenomenal progress to be fair, to be really uh, to be honest. In ninth, it's Gareth Kells up from eleventh at box divers fifty five, and in tenth to round off the top ten, it's back of the netto, Henry Dean who got fifty six this week. Right, so I'm afraid we're going to have the final game week of the first half of the season. Ish wasn't the best game week, was it, Lucy? I mean, how did you get on?
0: Well, I I deserved all I got because last week I complained about how I couldn't stop scoring 50-something. So this time I scored 41 instead. I won't repeat ourselves too much given that we, we've got the same team, apart from a very crucial difference where you had Foden scoring his nine-pointer and I had Wilf Zaha missing a penalty. Wilf, that's brilliant. Um, And that has really formed the difference. As you said, other than Foden doing well for you, we literally just had the Newcastle clean sheet, Martinelli and Darwin returning anything. Darwin, though, by the way, has to be probably one of the better transfers of the season. I can always bank on my own team to help me out in FPL. So thanks once again, Saints, for being diabolical.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't have anything else to add apart from that. Just relieved for a break. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Where where have you ended up? Rank wise,
0: I'm down to 160k, which nearly negates the whole progress made from the wild card. So that's also a really good buoying bit of news before the break.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I've been calling back to the Zombie fighting on podcast a while ago. I mean, maybe Zombie Loose from Game Week Two would be flying right now. We just I'm don't pretty know. sure she
0: would be. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's definitely been very stop start, hasn't it? I mean, yeah. Stop, scoring. Saying, stop! Stop!
0: Stop! Stop! stop, stop.
1: <laughs> no, I know. I do know the feeling. Um, phone scoring was yeah, literally it. But you know, the two points I got from Rashford on Sunday were enough to get me a green arrow with fifty. Which is it? Just, it's just one of those weeks, really. I was a sixty-one k to fifty-six k. It was a green arrow, really, and stopped the rot and it stopped it being five reds in a row. So that was you know okay. It really
0: stopped It being what I got. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah a little bit yeah, i'm exactly. afraid and yeah. um you know but at the start of the season if i was told that if i'd be 56k at this point i'd be very happy nonetheless having not been in the top 10k obviously i view that a little bit differently but nonetheless i feel pretty encouraged about the second half of the season especially you know when the dust settles and i start to think about fpl again and during this pod i'll be thinking about it but after that i think i'm going to just drop it right main topic H1 review, Lucy. H1 review. Always worth kind of doing a full-on WGTA thing, a big, nice macro thing to bookend the first half of the season in our signature style. And we thought, what better way to do this? But to review where we stand in terms of FPL data with regards to how players... That's Premier League footballers, not FPL managers, points look at this juncture. So just after Game Week 16 is finished compared to the past. So I've pulled up the last three seasons of Game Week 16 compared to now to see if there's anything interesting we can discern based on the data, as well as kind of our impressions qualitatively. And kind of just mix the two and have a nice discussion about how the first half of the season looks and how this season may turn out. Um, I enlisted the help of Andy at FPL underscore data to get, the, to get it all together, to get the data together. So data helped get data together, which I then analysed. So thanks so much to him for doing that. And yeah, basically what I've got is the sum of all FPL points, the points per position, and for some colour I've got you know a few players who were in and around the top 10 uh, just to help out a bit more. As this is a podcast, not a visual presentation. I'll keep it broad. I'm not going to be going through every single data point or anything like that. Uh, but rest assured there's a lot of data underlying all the assertions we'll talk about. So how does it look? Let's start with the overall points scored at this juncture. Obviously a bit lower than the last three seasons, I thought, when I first saw it. And the reason behind that is pretty clear. We don't have a game week seven. So to normalise everything, I used a bit of a lump force method and simply added an extra 16th to the existing data for the season, i.e. I multiplied everything by 1.06. So it all kind of roughly aligns. It's called weighting the data in research. So yeah, in terms of overall points, we're actually pretty consistent this season with the past three seasons we're looking at about thirteen thousand points scored which is about right and um, that's kind of where we are at the moment and on average we're seeing about 800 or so points scored across the game any given game week again this season is on par of expectation for previous seasons but what does start to get really interesting is when we look into positions and where we see those points are allocated so this year compared to the last three years there's three key observations i'd make most of it you probably would have intuited already but here it is backed up by data. The first thing is that the defenders have dropped off in terms of overall points scored. So last year, they had about 450 more points than they do at the minute. Trent, Cancelo, Van Dyke, and Rudiger were all in the top 10 at this point. Currently, there's only one defender in the top 10, and that's Kieran Trippier. The forwards continued their decline. So Haaland, Kane and Tony, they're all in the top 10. You may think, oh, that's quite healthy. It's a bit of a fig leaf. They're declining like the Y chromosome is Lucy. Year on year, we see the attrition of about 100 points or so from the forwards. And this has been going on for quite a long time. Obviously, there's fewer players in this category in general. You know, there's only three out slots versus five for defenders and midfielders. But nonetheless, in terms of position comparison, points are in a real decline for the forwards. And that's due to mid-price forwards not really pushing like they have in the past. So yeah, there's Tony this year, but in the past we've had like you know, Tammy Abraham, Timu Puki, Bamford, Calvert Lewin, Wilson, Danny Ings, all in the top tens. Although interestingly, last year there was only one forward in the top ten by this point. That was Emmanuel Dennis. Remember him? And finally, who are the main beneficiaries of all these points disappearing from forwards and defenders? Midfielders. Should we play three five two? Well maybe, because even without me normalizing the data, so before I added on the extra sixteenth, midfielders have had more points this year than at any of the last three years at this juncture. And when you normalise it, it's truly ridiculous. You're talking, you know, about 6,000 points from midfielders. So for context, that's 46% of the grand total of all the scores this year. Normally, it's about 42%. So you've got a real uptick in terms of midfielder points being scored. And five of the top slots are mids at the moment, which is on par with what we normally see, but the net score is much higher. So the score of those midfielders is higher. And this is very well shown by the fact you've got four midfielders who are all equal 10th at the moment. Odegaard, Marcinelli, Madison, and Rodrigo on 77. So basically, yeah, data on par, distributed really differently, though. Midfielders is sucking up a lot of points, which otherwise would be the defenders and forwards. That's basically it at the moment. And goalkeepers, of course, are consistent in case anyone cares. So lots of days to take in there, Lucy, but does that sound relatively on par with your expectations?
0: I was just thinking about this because obviously you've weighted it to compensate for the missing week. But some teams are also missing another fixture, aren't they? So some of those patterns could be even more extreme if if we had that extra. And I guess yeah. that was difficult for you to navigate in terms of how to put that into the data. I was just thinking to myself that some teams missed one for the Queen's funeral and things, but yeah, some missed some
1: miss more. Yeah, but I think I still had to. It just got too confusing for silly old me, so I had to just go with the blunt force <laughs> rather than the uh the detailed surgery. I'm afraid, but yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I don't think it's a huge surprise. I think I got excited. There were signs that forwards might be better at the beginning of the season. And in general, they've, they've come back to the the horrible norm, um, the trend that we've seen over the last few years. So that's not a huge surprise. It's a bit of a disappointment because I thought they might be re-energised. Um, I think kind of Mitrovic and Tony early in the season gave us belief that it might be kind of a, a new era for the strikers. But for various reasons, not least helped by kind of a few injuries to key players. That's not really happened. I think it's another bit of data to solidify the theory around kind of midfield talisman and the kind of impact they have on the game. I guess the only surprise for me is probably the defenders falling back as they have. But I think that's probably partly an indication of the collapse of Liverpool as a defensive force. I think we'd normally expected to see Robertson and Trent in those Kind of top ranks and obviously they've barely featured on our radar, although I think they'll probably come back on after the World Cup break. Um, and then I guess it just cements the value that's in midfield at the moment. I think Martinelli, Saka, Odegaard, those Arsenal midfielders, we all thought at the beginning of the season were probably undervalued and to see them amongst the top ranks of those midfielders probably underlines that. But yeah, not not a huge number of surprises for me. It was just really those defenders, the the kind of big ones that were missing that were the ones that I picked out, really.
1: I think what's interesting about that is, yes, definitely the defenders versus the forwards. We've definitely got a choice between... I don't, they may both rise, like Phoenix is from the Flames, but I think you know, you're know you probably looking at one of them doing fairly well, especially the fact that you've got five players that you can choose in defence versus three for the forwards, and there's more defenders. So I think you're likely to see a resurgence from the defenders than the forwards. And as you mentioned, you know Robertson, Trent, players who are perennially in the upper echelons these are players i mean at the start of the season people may have said liverpool's attack may have been less effective you know new unit gelling together but if i'd have said liverpool would have four clean sheets by game week 16 i don't i think i'd have gotten really really long odds on that and that downturn from them principally because city have kept up their end of the bargain mostly i know that Cancelo has been many of us own him he's been a bit annoying recently but they still got six clean sheets out of sixteen or fifteen, which is it's fifteen, isn't it? Which is which is you know it's okay. And um, there's been a couple of kind of silly errors and things like that. But I mean, broadly in terms of the underlying stats, they're on point. But Liverpool have not been. But my feeling is that there will be a recovery of sorts. So I'm very interested in Robertson, for example, and I think that City too, given how the last few weeks have gone. So you know you've got obviously the loss against Brentford, you've got a last minute Haaland Pem winning it versus F- Fulham, and a very Questionable one from some, At some angles, that and the world even KDB needs to beat the beat Leicester. I wonder whether there's going to be more a uh, suffer, suffer ball with a Haulden feature uh, coming uh, when Pep reassesses over the summer. Uh, sorry, over the Christmas period because well, over the winter I should say, and um, just because I I just feel like there's going to be something that may change there. I've got a bit of a suspicion about that, but I just I just find it difficult with the forwards looking at the information and how things have gone this year and over the last few years for the forwards to really be able to justify more than two right now. Like I know there's lots of very exciting potential individuals within there, you know, obviously the likes of Mitrovic, assuming he survives the World Cup unscathed, I'm sure it would be interesting. Wilson would be interesting to people. Watkins, I was very interested in last week, just because I've got that Villa resurgence, but he went and got COVID. I'm sure there'll be a few individuals of interest to in, of people there, but it just feels like the, the value is going to be in that midfield. And I think that that will... We see it. I think we see it every year, don't we, that we always end up with 3-5-2 eventually. I mean, maybe this will be just the directional bellwether, which may take us there a little bit earlier on the World Cup card, wildcard. What do you think?
0: I think that's true. I think both of us, when we get onto it, are looking at 3-5-2s. Um, I think in the old days, 3-4-3 three, three was the kind of dominant theory, but given the decline we've seen of strikers in the last few years, it has, as you said, moved towards 3-5-2 being a more dominant formation. And that's only kind of, bolstered by that defensive decline. You know, you might have in previous years looked at 442 potentially. But yeah, 352 makes a lot of sense. I think you're probably seeing more value out of the likes of Almiron, Martinelli, etc., than you are out of Solanke Mitrovic. Those kinds of, you know, similar price points at different um tiers. So I can understand why people are doing it. Um I think it will be important to keep a degree of flexibility in your wildcard squads because we're going to expect to have to keep them for a fairly long period if you want to target double game weeks, etc., and they're likely to be 29 onwards, from what I understand. You know, in terms of like the big double game weeks. So I think keeping a bit of flexibility and being prepared to change your mind on things is important. Um but I am of the opinion that you probably don't need three strikers at the moment. Which yeah. is annoying yeah. because I think that was our that was our suggestion at the beginning of the season and then we were all slightly twisted off by Mitrovic and Tony finding form and and thinking that it might be different. So, yeah, I think we're probably back to where we started with a lot of our assumptions, apart from, as we said, that Liverpool defence
1: yeah maybe taking the really long view we were right and it's 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 really interesting though know, mentioning the lights as you said of um you know Almiron and Sol- to Leicester, it's the likes of martinelli because right now as i mentioned you've got those four players who are all kind of joint tenth in terms of the rankings that kind of means that I'm, okay yeah it's, it's all joint whatever um, but you've got six midfielders and who started the season at below 8 in the top 10 at the moment i'm um, including madison in that bracket if you take him out that's still five in the past nothing like that you had conor gallagher last year remember him who's doing great for a while isn't he in the england squad i don't know maybe gareth southgate had him last year in his fpl team around this time a couple of years ago you had jack Grealish and then a villa fame before he sagged off almiron and zaha and then the year before that you know you were looking at pretty much just madison that was it so suddenly having all of these mid-price midfielders Coming out of nowhere to do well and arguably outperforming their price point and providing value, that's been a really interesting sort of consideration and one that I think we'll come back to in the World Cup wild card squads. That's for sure. And I think just reflecting back to the start of the season, we're all we're all sat there, weren't we, going, "Oh, these eight million midfielders! I just want all of them. They just look incredible." And it's it's, it's almost like kind of like the younger crop have overtaken the, the people we thought were maturing. <laughs> and uh, they they've now become the ones who are in vogue because yeah, you've got you've got all of these sorts of players who are doing well. And you know, we'll come on to Armour, and I'm sure, we're talking about whether he's included in our squads or not, but the advent of these sorts of pesky players to move them on move it on to kind of our own sort of reflections for the season thus far in terms of our team has has had a bit of an impact, hasn't it? So when I mean, we neither of us are owned Almoron, but not owning him and our players not doing anything to counter him. Um has meant there's been an erosive force on our game week it's the last kind of four or five weeks. We started really well, didn't we? I mean I say we, I'm sure no one's new listener now, but if you are, we've we've had pretty much the same team for a long time. It's been like two players that have caused differences. And I, I think it has been, you know, the last we started really well though, didn't we? And had a good template team. It's just recently things have kind of fallen off a little bit. And it's been players like Almiron, as you've mentioned.
0: Yeah, I mean until, what, 10 or 11, we'd both seen pretty consistent Green Arrows and it's kind of fallen away. So, I mean, I can't really complain. But I th- I feel like it's probably the preparation for the blank game week that has once again disrupted the season. Um, And I, I say to myself literally every season, don't fall into that trap. It's just one week. It'll be fine. You don't need to restructure your team for it. And every single season i get so sidetracked by it and i do it again and again and again and the problem was that not only was i preparing for that blank game week um but i i kind of then had a team which had ignored a lot of popular picks including arsenal and that has had a quite significant impact on my ranking um so you know next time i'll try not to get quite so sidetracked but i really do feel that that's been the kind of punctuation mark that has but it's more like a it's more like a a nail in my season that has slowly punctured the whole thing, like a little nail in a dinghy. Just watched it just ebb away. No, I So yeah, yeah. Like I think... What
1: waves on a cliff or something for me? Like it's it's those players, the erosive force of the Arsenal defence we spoke about last week briefly, and just Kane's inability to blank as well. And yeah, that really in... hurt
0: this week, I think, didn't it?
1: Yeah, and our inability to buy him has also continued to limit gains because, as we said a few weeks ago. Salah, yeah, great. I mean, he's doing all right in the rankings now, but that's for a couple of real bursts, whereas Kane every week has been an erosive force, which there's no compensation for. Like up to game week 11, the team was compensating for Kane, the likes of Tony, Mitrovic scoring goals. You referenced both them a little while ago. But as we reached the blanks and the differentials failed to return, Kane just kept on doing so, and it slowly but surely just kept pushing the rank down ever so slightly every week. That and KDB doing the business as well at 37% owned, while Foden did absolutely sod all for three weeks. Um, Neither of those things were, as we've spoken about, really in our control too much because, I mean, it's easy to say so now, but... I mean, you'd be advocating taking a minus eight to remove Salah to buy Kane or taking a minus four to minus four at least to remove Salah to buy KDB. You know, when when Salah did have Leeds, Nottingham Forest and Southampton um, as three of his last four games after the West Ham game we brought him in for. So there's there's just no way, there's no world where that would have happened. And it's just very much about, as we've spoken about ad nauseam now, the fact that you were just locked into that situation and your players who you were kind of putting your faith in haven't quite repaid that faith. And that's just the way it goes sometimes. Um, second half of the season then lucy um obviously got the world cup to get through and a lot of these players i feel like we caveats yes in this a lot but a lot of these players may well turn up absolutely crocked if they go into the world cup um but there's always one or two players you know like bowen uh, last year came out of nowhere uh, project restart i've got a very strong memory of anthony martial suddenly becoming like the best thing since sliced bread i mean any predictions for the second half any players you're going to be keeping a special eye on
0: no, I did look really hard, but this is, you know, it, it requires having an imagination, which I fundamentally don't have. um I, I'm struggling. You must have an idea up your head that uh, in your head, though, because otherwise you wouldn't have come up with the question.
1: Right, and um, no, I've. I've, I've... Not that many, actually. I mean, my preseason tip of Trossard is motoring on. Obviously, I've got a vested interest in that, even though I only have one game and he did shank me. Um, but he's ninth at the moment. And Brighton have a really good run of games after the World Cup until April. I think there's only Arsenal, Liverpool and Newcastle um, spaced out in a great run of 12 games and nine of them are winnable. And if the does play him less at wing back and more closer to the goal, as seems to be the plan, that could be really fruitful. If, of course, he stays at Brighton. That's probably the, the the big sort of, yeah, but about that one. Much like you, it's one of those things where, you know, I would never have picked up Bowen last year. An interesting thing I thought I could do is look at XG subtracting actual, so to see if there's any sort of you know, deficit in terms of what people are expected to score versus what they've actually scored. Two ways of looking at this: team and players. Team-wise, you won't be surprised to hear that Wolves are top for not scoring as many goals as they should have. Seven goals fewer than they should have. Not seven goals less, by the way. Don't say seven goals left. Who will not be my friend anymore. Um, second place, West Ham, 6.6. Goals fewer than they should have scored. And third, Everton, 5.4. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if Wolves and Everton end up in the relegation dogfight. I'd be interested to see what La Pategui does um, to address the goal-scoring deficit at Wolves. But West Ham, surely there's got to be something there. They've looked pretty stodgy this campaign, but there's enough quality in that squad. You'd imagine to turn that around. Uh, which leads into individual players. So as mentioned last week, Bamford and Welbeck um, have scored far less than they should have, followed by Jesus and third. And um, still massive ownership. That's because lots of dead teams in game week one. Then Solly March, who you knows going to be interested in. And then we get two interesting players. Hey, it's Ollie Watkins, and it's Jared Bowen too. Uh, just two down on their expected output. Of course, I wouldn't be surprised if Bowen resurfaces. I think more. I think he would be the one that I. Back to resurface more than Watkins to some extent because his underlying numbers are decent enough. Same non-penetrators, let's have Bruin, uh, Bruin, Bruno, Maddie, Watkins. I he, he's not a good finisher. <laughs> I'm sorry, and and I think that he's going to have his moment. You know, he always has his moment every year where he's in every those those are teams for a while. Um, but you know, Bowen has been he's not quite got that kind of run of luck that he benefits from last year where you something you know everything goes right for you. Dare I call it form. And if that does happen, you know, the course of the second half of the season, especially now he's not in the World Cup squad, I can, you no. Know, oddly, this year's Bowen may well be Bowen, is basically what I'm trying to say there. And, but that's just judging at looking at the underlying data. The only other thing, Lucy, is that there's one team with a very good run of post World Cup games. And
0: now don't mention it. Don't they've do got it.
1: no top six teams until No, game don't do it. I can see
0: where you're going. Don't do it. <laughs>
1: Is there anything at this Southampton business?
0: Uh, (laughs) Stunned silence. Um, No, no, there isn't. The problem is, because we've just changed manager, um, as you may know, we don't really know how we'll set up after the break. Um, There's a lot of speculation that we will be in the market for a new forward when it comes to January, so that's not long after we we start. Um, There's also a lot of speculation about potentially changing shape. Uh, so there's 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 a lot lack of clarity I think about who a first eleven is for a start. Um, then we're losing our two centre backs to the World Cup. They're the only two members of the Southampton squad that will be on World Cup duty. Um, so I don't think that's probably great from a kind of defensive stability point of view. I think people always speculate about James Ward Prowse as an FPL pick. For me, I don't like him as an FPL pick because I think his returns are so hard to. Predict. He doesn't tend to follow fixtures in the kind of conventional sense. Mm. um so,
1: Expected free kick.
0: Yeah, exactly. Expected free kick. Expected random corner. Flat. Yeah, it's just it's not something that I think is easy to kind of work with. If you had a zombie team and you never did anything with it, which you know, as it turns out, probably would should be what I did. Then maybe, but I yeah, I just don't really like ball Prowse for that fact that he's really really difficult to predict. And then you're looking at players that frankly haven't shown any form from an attacking point of view. Um, and as I said, I don't think you can be confident that they start. The only person I'd ever take a punt on potentially would be Adams, but only if he showed, and I hate to say it form mm-hmm. because he is the most streaky striker he is. in the league probably. So that's the only place I'd look. And that would be only if I saw form and you know, his confidence before I got on it. So I wouldn't be planning it into a wildcard squad by any means.
1: I thought I had to ask you just because loads of the fixture analyzers are going to bring up Southampton and we will see a lot of people making the cases for the likes of Adams, Adams pulling out all sorts of ridiculous data. Um, and it's, it's just some a bit of reality that's worth remembering when we get back to FPL Q us both having Carr for some reason uh, in our teams. Sar, Kale- is it? Oh, interesting. Lassar, yes. I thought it was like Alan Carr's son or something like that. No,
0: no, he didn't go to the World Cup, which was a big surprise. So he would be the pick if you were looking defensively, but you shouldn't be. Don't do that.
1: <laughs> you shouldn't. <do laughs> I was going to say either.
0: just on Bowen. You you're tipping Bowen to be Bowen again. Their fixtures are excellent. Well, not excellent, very good, I would say. After the World Cup, so you know, worth looking at. I think potentially.
1: Yep, absolutely. Right, well, I think that's a decent look at H one, really, I mean, that's as good as I think you're going to get with where we are at the moment. Obviously, game week 16 is not really the true halfway, but it's an actual sort of break off, isn't it? So yeah, that's where we were. Defenders and forwards declining, forwards particularly are in a are they in terminal decline? I'm not sure, but they've definitely started to fall off since from before when, you know, 3-4-3 three, three was enormous as said earlier. And maybe, just maybe, that midfield, where which is chock-a-block for the value, should be where we're going to be looking going forward. Speaking of which, we'll look at our World Cup card, Wildcard WC Squared teams uh, just after this break.
0: Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
1: And we're back. And I think let's get to our WC Squared teams. But the first thing, I think, is just to look at the the impacts of that World Cup on the Premier League and I guess by extension on FPL. And Lucy, you said you've done some research into how many players from loads of different teams are going to the World Cup and have some thoughts on the implications perhaps for afterwards.
0: Yeah, I mean, only because I think our default assumption is that teams at the top of the league will have a lot of players going to the World Cup and teams at the bottom of the league won't have many going to the World Cup. And whilst that is broadly correct, that is the kind of general trend across the league and that's not that surprising. Um, There are a few things that are worth pointing out, I think, um, particularly when you're comparing like-for-like players and teams and, and that kind of thing. So the first thing is that the top six... The vast majority of those are obviously going to be quite seriously affected. Five out of six have at least 10 players going to the World Cup. The exception is Liverpool, who only have seven. Um, So you could argue, if you're looking kind of aside from injuries, they might be a better team to target um, than some of the other top six. The other also, the other thing to point out is that obviously Newcastle are currently third in the Premier League and have good fixtures and they are only losing five to the World Cup, um, including those three England players, Pope, Tripper and Wilson. So that's probably just a few to be aware of. Um, down at the bottom, uh, there are just two teams that have more than five players going to the World Cup. They are Leicester and Forest. Um, Our good friend of the pod, Adam, did point out that as Forest have a gazillion players, that might not be such a big influence for them. Um, but it certainly is quite important for Leicester, I would say. They're losing Ward, um, the guy that looks like David Luiz, castagna Tielemans, Madison, Mendy and Amati. So that's that's quite a significant proportion of their squad, I would say, and quite a, a number of quite important players. So that's just another thing to be aware of as well when you're kind of comparing like for like. Um, the thing to probably note is that Arsenal are probably going to be more affected by, say, a team like Brazil going deep. Um, I think you probably have to weigh that up. Similarly, Man United have three Brazil players in their squad. So um, it's just going to be a case, I think, of looking through the players and not only thinking about how many players are likely to be affected by uh, the World Cup, but also how likely they are to be affected kind of coming out of the World Cup in terms of teams going deep in the tournament. So where a team has a lot of Brazil, Argentina, Ireland, England, Germany, Spain, France—just think of the big, the big six—then uh, I would be probably looking at them a little more cautiously. And I think if you're looking at players from those teams um, in your wild card, wild card drafting, I would just treat them with a bit more caution and just think about potential alternatives at similar price points you might want to look at. If for whatever reason your player picks up an injury late into the tournament, I think a team like Man City, where they have a lot of depth, are likely to do a bit of rotation at the beginning of the season, which is why I would suggest um that you're keeping a little bit on the bench so that you can cover any unforeseen um benchings or rotation in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think generally there's there's that kind of quite clear pattern between you know, for example, Southampton, Palace and Bournemouth only have two players going. Um, So generally, the the bottom half teams do well out of it. But I just think it's just one to be aware of in terms of making sure you've done your research and seeing how teams might be affected by the World Cup.
1: Most think of a couple of things. I mean, it's obviously completely unprecedented. The first thing, obviously, is Project Restart. I think West Ham obviously is high in mind for that, how they got themselves out of the mire, and especially Mikel Antonio, remember him, and Project Restart, it was four goals against Norwich, remember him, but yeah, like, we may see some teams who absolutely do, well, the teams who, as you said, have only got two players going to the World Cup, so the rest of the squad's together playing, I saw there was a couple of friendlies that have been arranged and things like that for these players, to try to keep yeah. them that sharp. Um, And, you know, it would hugely benefit the likes of um, Southampton uh, with the new manager and Wolves too uh, with new manager um, potentially. Um, But on the other side of that, you had, you know, the likes of Norwich that year. um, Everyone thought, oh, you know, they're they're down the bottom. Yeah. But, you know, they've got a little while to prepare now. Surely it will all go well for them. Surely they'll be able to pull out a a whole new tactic to get them safe. Um, But sadly, they fucked it up and, um, yeah, they didn't do anything. They haven't got a single point in Project Restart. And the the other thing I was thinking about was Mo Salah last year, going to AFCON. I think just because I'm sure this happened for a lot of other players as well. But obviously, as kind of the biggest, most high profile FPL player out there, I'll maybe Holland now, but you know, historically. His like, first half of the season versus second half of the season was, was night and day, wasn't it? And you've got to wonder with certain players, like those players, as you said, who are in the top six at the moment, from top six teams at the moment, who are going to the World Cup, what kind of impact that's going to have on their current state or their, uh, their current velocity. Like someone like Kane, for example, who's currently second. And yeah. um, who Conte has said, oh, he's really tired. Like, he's in. Kane worries
0: me from that perspective because if we, if England go deep in the tournament, he will play every game, probably at least seventy minutes in the majority of them. He worries me considering what Conte. I don't know how much Conte is kind of exaggerating it or kind of making excuses for results because I guess that will also come into it. But the the message we're hearing from Kane and you know, his significance for England, if England do go a long way, which, you know, we all hope for um, and might be a little bit sceptical of, um, that I think Kane could look quite tired by the time he comes back. And if you compare that versus someone like Salah, who you might be looking at at a similar price price point, who's not going at all, that that's quite a difficult one to weigh up. My only concern with this is that I completely overthink the whole thing and over-adjust for these issues when it could be that, that players... Are fine when they come back and they just hit the ground running. But it's just one of those things, I guess.
1: Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm keeping in mind. That's for sure when I'm thinking about the WC Squared squad. Just because as I said with the first wild card we did this season, you don't want to throw the baby out the bar forward, so you don't want to get rid of form players um who have suddenly have adverse fixtures. You don't want to get rid of form players in this situation thinking, oh, he's they're gonna be knackered. Because maybe, just maybe it might not be the case. Um but yes, it's it's definitely fascinating it definitely corresponds to what you'd expect and um, and Liverpool and Newcastle especially are of great interest to us aren't they just because I think you know Salah and um, like Robertson and um, these sorts of players we would be expecting to maybe see a bit of research I do have
0: the full lists if you need them so Liverpool, Alisson, Fabinho, Canate, Alexander Arnold, Henderson, Nunez and Van Dijk
1: are going oh, so, it's only, so it's only Nunez and Trent potentially who are FPL relevant? That's the thing. Like, yeah, FPL relevance of these players is also quite high. So you know, you mentioned the Leicester players there. So it's probably only Madison, isn't it, of those who I'd yeah. actually be yeah. concerned about. And same with same with, uh, with Spurs, it's Son and Kane, isn't it? It's,
0: yeah, unless you were still holding out a flame for Perisic, then I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe actually. Yeah. Yeah, but it, yeah, you're right. It's, it's it's about doing that research and just seeing what happens over the next few weeks uh, before you kind of obviously uh, commit to one of these players. But I think mean, that that's a problem for future us uh, when we're back in December. That's for sure. But no, that's really interesting. Really interesting to hear, especially when it comes to Newcastle and losing five. Like that's such a external shock led benefit to them, isn't it? That yeah, they... I guess
0: the the downside on that is that it's po- Pope Trippier and Wilson, are three of the five going. So, you know, in, yep. from an FPL interest point of view that's not ideal
1: no but Pope be all right uh just trippier really that we all probably care about uh wilson's to some extent that's for sure um, but if it's probably trippier that um, many of us will be thinking oh you know it, was, it would it would be less of a problem if he doesn't come back injured um but hey no that's really interesting really interesting and you can obviously kind of pick out a few players from that that aren't going to the world cup who could suddenly be of great interest to us moving on to that then wc squared squads lucy uh obviously very 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 dark sorry i mean um initial thoughts here and um, um, i i think we i'm just going to assume that you've read the rules of the World Cup card, wild, wild cards I'm, I'm not going to go through them at this point because hey yeah you can read them if <laughs> there's no there's no uh, there's no there's no rush um yeah i mean both the squads if you're are kind of we've somehow managed to come out quite similarly but what's your kind of your sale value at the moment i know you had a little bit of a deficit on me i think i'm about 101.6 it must be on about 100 or 100.8 or 9 something like that let let me just Hundred one point four. 1.4 okay interesting so you're not that far off this might be this this uh, maybe because we've got loads of cash invested in the same players you know, players like Trippier, players like Marcinelli. We've got loads of that sort of stuff going on. It's just individuals, perhaps, that we've done. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to see that we've got looking at your squad moving into the squads themselves and my squad. There are seven survivors, I think. I think we can probably partition these off, can't we, into five definites, assuming they're still fit, and two probables, the five de- definites being Haaland's, Marcinelli, Andreas, Ward, and Trippier, I'd say. And the two probables being Cancelo and Salah, um, who have survived. So I mean that's a good that's a good proportion of the budget on players that we already own. Um, which makes me kind of wonder again how close we're going to end up being and how close thing teams are going to end up being uh, when it comes down to it um in December. Um just to kind of run through my team i guess um at the moment how i'm standing um i've got edison in goal next to wards and um i notice you do as well which has me gives me kind of pre-game week one vibes um but i wonder whether you've got him in for the same reason i do <laughs> but I already mentioned my hunch for Man City which maybe goes some way to explaining that and um, at the back I've got Cancelo I think Robertson's great value at 6.8 I think he's going to be in very likely no World Cup for him of course uh, Benny White at 4.7 I mean provided he comes to the World Cup all right that's a fantastic price for him I should have brought him on Saturday but I was quite drunk after FPL meets and just wasn't cognizant of, of, of anything to do in terms of FPL and I've got Patterson at 4.0 so uh, with White's Trippier, Robertson and Cancelo. That leads me to a 4-4-2. Um, four mids. Uh, Salah and Martin only survive, uh, as is Andreas in mid five. I've got Almiron in. He is sadly there as downside protection, and nothing else. Like I know we've got the underlying stats alert and this can't keep going alert um, and also under stuff, but at the price and ownership I'd rather sell later than reluctantly be buying him in if he does keep it up. And as you said, we've Oh yeah, okay. The spine of Newcastle's team is going, but a lot of them are staying around. Um I just wonder about that one. Um if there is a double game week for Bryson and Palace, we'll discuss in a minute, he could well be Ezy. Um and Trossard um is in for me too, as mentioned. So uh, really just love that guy. Slash, I've got personal investment in him doing well. And up front, premiums. So Holland and Kane, depending on the World Cup. Um, especially where Kane's concerned. I share your worries about him, um, but he has to be in as far as I'm concerned at the moment. But obviously, you've got a whole World Cup to come and Greenwood as the four-point-two backup. So yeah, basically, I've got a freemium uh, with Salah, Kane and Haaland, uh, plus good depth and value across the pitch. I've got 0.1 million in the bank. The only thing I would note is a bit of a... Uh, probably going to be very dated very soon, but is that Bielsa is currently being heavily linked to Bournemouth. So if he does go there then I may develop an interest in Slanky for obvious reasons. And yeah, I mean, you, you're very similar to me, aren't you?
0: Yes, I think it is worth noting that I have done very little digging into double game week permutations. And it was only after I gave you my draft that I had a little flick on Ben Crellin's uh, timeline. He's suggesting that Fulham versus Chelsea and Arsenal versus Everton are likely to move, be moved to game week 17, 19 or 21. So that's not long after the break. If Man United beat Burnley, then Man United Leeds might be moved to an FA Cup replay night, so game week 20 or 22. The likeliest double game week fixture is Arsenal versus Man City moving to game week 23. Um, but otherwise, most of the postponed fixtures that can't fit into game week 17 to 28 will move to the free midweek in game week 29. So I hadn't really looked at that, so I may mm. reassess based on that.
1: Yeah, um, if, we, if we get more information, it's a given, isn't it? I'm like, I, I yeah, I I... assuming.
0: On those ones that he's saying 17, 19 or twenty-one, I am assuming, fingers crossed, we'll get some kind of development on that in the break. I mean, what can the Premier League really be doing in the break apart from rearranging fixtures for us? You know, just,
1: just, just having a bath in their pile of money, I guess.
0: Oh, okay, yeah, sorry, but they do that all the time, right? That's they they manage the whole thing from in the bath. <laughs> that's that all, bar, there,
1: that's right? all that's there for, isn't it? Um...
0: Anyway, sorry, yeah. So th- with that in mind, I um, I guess we differ most in defence so and that all stems i suppose from the fact that where you have kane i have darwin um that's not necessarily set in stone i think it's probably unlikely that i'll have salah and darwin but i do think he offers interesting value uh so i've got him at the moment and that means that i've got a little bit more money sloshing around um particularly because i didn't buy robertson at the back at the moment i've gone for gabrielle so, um, I have Saka where you have Andreas, so that's the kind of big lump of money kind of taken care of. And I guess that's where I'm going 352 and you're looking at 442. So, um, I'll do a quick rundown. I have Edison and Ward, I have Webster probably nominally where you have Patterson.
1: I've got a slightly it's better back, the, the loosest pick I've ever seen, but yes, continue.
0: Why is it the loosest pick you've ever seen?
1: Just, you know, we spoke about the other week about having unadventurous defenders. I mean, I feel like Webster's the definition of unadventurous defender.
0: Well, exactly. I said I was learning my lessons and I would be having unadventurous defenders, <laughs> but we're going to play reliably. And so I have shown that with Webster. Um, where you have White as a price point, I guess I roughly have Martinez. Um, and then where you've got Robertson, I've got Gabrielle. I could end up with White, to be quite honest. It was just that I was... No, this draft and I no World
1: of, Cup. Yeah. Perfect
0: yeah, he has no World Cup, he's got a bit more goal threat and had a bit of money. And um, again, I think this this is unlikely to be the last the final team, so won't, yeah. won't Huge
1: health huge health warning.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh then we've got the same four in midfield, apart from as I said, that Andreas versus Saka thing at the fifth midfielder. And then yeah, I've got Darwin where you've got Kane. So not hugely different it's just that i've decided to spread the money slightly differently i do think there's a lot of attraction in that three mium structure that you've got so i really wouldn't rule out doing it as well but at the moment i'm just trying to learn some of the lessons of the first half of the season and leave myself a little less forced into transfers by having a little bit more of a kind of well-balanced squad don't know if it'll stay that way i think it's very likely that there'll be some kind of world world cup impact on this so um that's kind of where I'm at now.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. The only thing is, obviously, you've got Webster and Greenwood as your nominated subs. It's just trying to fit in the other guy. I hate that. It annoys me. Like, like just, just innately upsets me. There's no obvious sub, if that makes sense. I mean, I know I know loads of people love to play that way. I find that difficult to do. I find that really hard to to just process mentally that I haven't got a nominated sub like if you've got you know Martinez and then I don't know what would you be doing? Would you be choosing Martinez, Gabriel, Amron every week? Surely you've got to play Amaron every week. So then you're choosing Gabriel and Martinez every week? Gabriel it, it's it yeah as you can tell by my mini meltdown there. I I find that difficult to deal with. I need a nominated clear sub subspender. I mean what happens
0: with. in reality every single time I set up with a strong 12 Um, is that by the end, by the deadline comes, I think, oh, I can just chip a bit of money off him. Oh, I can just chip a bit of money off him. And then I end up with exactly the same thing as you've got. So really, it's just there as a thought exercise, and I doubt it'll end up happening. But I think there is potential value in that structure, just because I think there is likely to be a bit of a mess when we come back in terms of, Teams being exactly where I expect. And I just like the extra security. I probably wouldn't lock into it for that that long um, and probably start to redistribute money around a bit. But I just like the idea of having that added security. And if I had White over Gabrielle, I'd even have that security plus a bit of money as well. Maybe I'm being just too conservative, burnt after the last few weeks, but there we go.
1: I just feel like the thing with Andreas, and to a lesser extent some of it, is that... It's just such great insurance because you're, you're. Again, it's probably just your your, your mental map of how you play this, but like, you're happy, like psychologically happy, to have them as your first bench every week. But you know they're going to play, and you know they're going to offer you something above anything else. And I know it's midfield slot being taken. I know I've just presented the case really for how the value is going towards the midfield, but you know at the back it's. Difficult difficult for me, at least, to look past Liverpool's def- defenders when we get back. Um, I know they're not the most amazing fits in the world, but they're, they're still pretty good. Aston Villa away, Leicester at home, Brentford away, Bryson away. And if they've got the core of their team there, try, I don't know. I, I just feel like Robertson, especially the last few weeks, just looks so much like his old self to some extent. I think he he basically functions as the auxiliary midfielder, if that makes sense. So he does that sort of job for me without being a midfielder himself. But no, definitely. I, and the other thing I would say is that I I do like Darwin as a pick. And I think that if Kane is injured or if I decide I want Kevin De Bruyne, could well happen, um, then Salah would be the guy who would go and I'd get Darwin in and I'd try to figure out ways to get De Bruyne in. Because Darwin's just such a selfish guy isn't he really (laughs) and that's what we want for FPL we want a striker or a player um, as Salil used to be in the past especially when Mane was involved that's a joke obviously um, where he's just looking to shoot no no interest in passing and Darwin just exemplifies that
0: Yeah I agree Um, hence why I've got him in and I think the other thing was why I'd gone for this slightly more spread out structure that you don't like um, is that I'm a little bit put off by having the idea of crossard Martinelli and Almiron, who are all sub eight million, I mean all sub seven and a half million, and Salah, for example, just because I, it feels like I have nowhere to go if they don't they don't fire. Like there's Rodrigo who I quite like and did think about, but other than that, I just feel like from a structural perspective, I'm a bit locked in. Whereas Saka gives me something a bit further into the middle where I feel like I've got a little bit more to play with without having to necessarily roll transfers and try to do kind of more ambitious moves. Um, it, it just makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but that's just a result of their own value. So it's mm. difficult to balance off that you kind of don't want to miss out on their value for the sake of it, but you also need to try and future-proof your team to a certain extent. And that's where I'm a little bit cautious on them mm. as a kind of three in that midfield.
1: I think it's just it's just the game factor really for me. Like if if he does come back and we, there's a, we reasonably assume that he's going to play every minute that God sends for uh, for Conte, if he does come back and he is not injured, I suspect that he's still going to play. And you know, Spurs have realistically, without Lukasiewicz, offered very very little, but he's found a way to keep trickling the points in and a chance to get the freemium for me. Which I've never really embraced in the past, but now given the T value situation, I can and still have a decently valued squad and in terms of that V word value, you know, you've got players like Trossard who who have the capacity to act as an eight million player without being an eight million player. Lars Valmeron, uh Martinelli is on both of our teams. I I actually, if Brazil do go deep, I would not be at all averse to removing him for Odegaard. Um but I mean it's it's just one of those things, isn't it, where Actually, a lot of it seems to hinge for me on what you do with the premiums um, and whether you do go. I mean, we've both got Horn and Salah, for example. And it's just how it all kind of fits together because De Bruyne has still got, we're still going to end up with 30% ownership. Obviously, he's going to the World Cup see how far Belgium's weird blend of really young men and really old men get um, and <laughs> but I mean it's, it's just one of those things where there's no room at the inn for a KDB at the moment so I've got Hall and Kane and Salah because it, they've kind of all been forming rightly or wrongly um and I guess I'll we both mentioned we both mentioned we've got Edison is is it for the same reason of me as me that got no KDB it means you've got a free city slot and for the short term Worked so well at the start of the season, get a double assist defence and hope that Pep goes to Sufferball. Uh, I mean, that's kind of my hunch, as I said earlier on. I mean, is that why you've got Edison as well right now?
0: Uh, full disclosure, I have Edison because I couldn't really work out what goalkeeper to get and FPL review told me to get him.
1: So right. That's always a good way of doing it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was a really clear rationale on this, but no, I did it play. in like an hour, and it it's not very good. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> some of those answers play. are going to be pretty poor. Sorry.
1: Fair play. I think it's just one of those things, though, were not it? Where obviously we've got a lot of there's a lot of change still to come, but I do notice that you know we've we're both pretty light on World Cup affected players. In reality, I think it's probably you know, probably about a third of our team at best, which are who are World Cup uh, World Cup affected, and I I think that you uh, I think that probably is conducive to the fact that yes, we may overvalue the World Cup or at least overthink about it and how we account for it and the teams we put together. Um, but the reality is, especially if you build a team around Holland and Salah as your two premium players, the rest of the team, it doesn't exactly fall into place in the same way. Um, but I, I just wonder whether we'll end up at the start of the season again where uh, there was quite a strong template from the off. Um, yeah, it's just one of those things where it just obviously all depends on the World Cup. But yeah, no, interesting. Interesting. Um Three million versus two million plus a little bit of uh, money spread around. makes a lot of sense to me. Cool. Um, Are you bothering with World Cup fantasy this year? No, I'm quite looking forward
0: to not having to think about fantasy football in any capacity. I think it's a bit of a strange one. I think a lot of people have, because we're going in an unprecedented fashion from the Premier League to the World Cup, I wouldn't be surprised if uptakes a little bit lower just because I think people have been less starved of the fantasy world. Um, But no, I'm not doing it. Are you doing it?
1: Nope, nope. Same reason as you. Um, I, I two reasons. One, every year, I every t- every tournament, I'll start it, and then by the round of sixteen, I'd have missed a missed a match day, or you know, I'd have done something, and I just would I just give up by the round of sixteen, really. Um, yeah. the other thing is that there's not been enough time to do any research, and I'm I'm an all nothing person, and I've um I think as long as I get to um the first game, the first deadline, I've missed it. I'm just gonna miss it. And I think I'm I'm almost definitely gonna miss it just because I, I I can't muster up the energy. Maybe maybe just as I said last week, the enduring uh, few weeks of just sham when it comes to uh, how it's been in in FPL. But I just can't muster up the energy to or enthusiasm for it. And um, and some of that may also be linked to the ethical dilemma of. Do I want to actually watch that much of it um, and I'm still I'm still not, not any close to an answer about that I'm sure I'll watch a few games in the pub or whatever if someone else is organising it but I don't know, it's, it's a tough one that's for sure, um, but yeah, all of that means I'm just not interested in the fantasy game at all um, and it might be quite good to go on this stuff the last few weeks and just in general if you do play fantasy football and think about it a lot just to step away from it and think about other things for a little while, there's a big wide world out there and we'll all be happy uh, without fantasy football it's possible, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think yeah. Really, I am. Well, I've that's you a lot. Hopefully, that was useful. There's a long hiatus for us now, of course, and just over a month—a calendar month—we'll probably be back on maybe Monday, the nineteenth of December, uh, for our annual Christmas special with FPL General uh, to talk about you know everything that's happened in the World Cup, uh, teams we're going to be putting together, how we're looking to shape up for Boxing Day how we may be annoying our other halves on Boxing Day looking at our uh, our FPL teams or on Christmas Day looking at our FPL teams. Not so much for you, but definitely for me. (laughs) No, I'll just have
0: my other half going, loose, loose, what transfers do I make? Tell me, tell me. Oh,
1: dear. Anyway, yeah, that's your lot.
0: (laughs) That's your lot. Thanks for listening. Um, I hope you all enjoy the break. We were Who Got the Assist. You can find Tom at WGTA underscore FPL and you can find me at Lucy Hynip with two Ts. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod.
1: Excellent. Well, enjoy the tournament um, and yeah, really hope you've enjoyed the first half of the season with us and we'll be back, as I said, in December Uh, Do me a favour as well. Um, If you have any elderly relatives, do check in on them. That's what I'd say. I hope we assist you. Speak to you very soon. Goodbye.
0: Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist?
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.